Welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast with our host, military chaplain and spiritual care director, James Johnson. With so many voices in this world fighting for our attention, it's easy to believe that we aren't good enough, that our past will always haunt us, and that we will never measure up. But the voice of God is telling us that we can live a life of restoration in Him. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to let our past decisions determine our present peace. Instead, He wants us to find that life of restoration in Him. So grab your Bibles and join us as we dig into God's Word to discover timeless truths and proper application for our lives today. When I was a kid, I have this powerful memory from when I helped my mom in the kitchen one evening with dinner and I was going to reach in the oven to pull out a tray and as I did so, my arm bumped the edge of the oven. And of course, the oven being on and super hot, it burned my skin. And all these years later, every time I go to get something out of the oven when I'm cooking dinner, I remember that experience. I have that memory pop up in my mind because memory is powerful. Memory is a tool that our bodies have that helps us prevent bad things from happening again, that the past experiences tell us what to do in the present. If we know what happened in the past, we know what to do here in the present. And evolutionists, Darwinian evolutionists, would say that this is evidence of our evolutionary status, that we remember dangerous and painful experiences of the past, and it keeps us from doing them again in the present. But the problem with that theory is it doesn't match up, that so many things in our lives are remembered just for the joy of remembering. I mean, think about the passages in the New Testament where something cool happens to Jesus during his childhood, whether it's the wise men and the, and the shepherds coming to worship him and to honor him, whether it's the uh, time where Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem and when they come back and find him in the temple, you know, they say, you know, Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? In all of these situations, the Bible says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She treasured them. And these memories are more than just reminders to keep us out of danger. Because if that was the case, moms would never have more than one child. That they would remember the pain of childbirth and never do it again. But you see, memory is more than that. Memory is more than just a tool that lets us know what to not repeat so that we stay safe. It's a ability that God hasn't given us, and I believe it's one of the greatest evidences of God's existence, that we can remember the good as well. We can treasure things in our hearts. You see, when we remember the past, we know what to do in the present. When we remember the past, we know what to do in the present. And that's why today that's what we're going to talk about is memory. The title of today's message is We Remember. We remember, and this message, you know, was created around the idea of our military veterans, that it's Veterans Day weekend, and we 
on remembering our veterans, our military service members that I'm honored to be one of. And I hope this doesn't sound too self-serving to say thank you to our military veterans because of brave men and women who are ready to sacrifice and even lay down their lives to protect our nation and to keep it safe. We also honor the family members of our military veterans. I know I could not do the things that I do, whether it's a battle assembly weekend, you know, we call them drill weekends, right? Where we go off and, and do military training, whether it's two weeks or a month or two here and there during the, the year, summer, you know, war exercises, whatever it is, whether it's deployments, mobilization, schools, all of these things when I'm gone, my family keeps the, the regular everyday world turning and keeps life normal for our kiddos. So we, we salute and honor our military veterans and their family members who support them. And as we remember these great events in our lives and we remember the season you know that we're in that whether it's you know the holidays or or honoring the, the past, we know that if we remember the past, we know what to do in the present. And that's one of the important things we're going to focus on today as we remember, because the opposite is also true, that not only does remembering the past help us know what to do in the present, forgetting the past leads us to not knowing what to do in the present. Pastor Mark Brady put it this way. He said, if you forget the why, you will confuse the what. If we forget the why, we will confuse the what. That when I forget why I'm doing something, I'll confuse what I'm doing. Uh, A good example of this in my life, I was a teacher uh, for 17 years. I was in education, a classroom teacher for 12 years and an assistant principal for five. And during those years, I was in the classroom for about three of them. I was a pretty cruddy teacher. I began to focus on the wrong things. I focused on the low salary and the lack of support from the school system, the lack of supplies and curriculum and materials, the lack of, uh, of support from family members and, and uh, administrators and kids were just, you know, it felt like things were just going crazy at the time and I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and gave up. And for about three years, I forgot why I was a teacher. And as a result, I became a bad teacher. I was very cynical. I was very bitter. I was very apathetic. You see, I forgot my why, so I confused my what. I forgot my why, why I became a teacher, and so I confused what I was doing. Thank God I remembered why, and I came back to, I won't say I was a great teacher, but at least I was trying to be, because I remembered my why. But if you forget the why, you will confuse the what. And sadly, our nation has forgotten its why. You know, uh, last month, my uh, wife and kiddos came with me. I had a class in Washington, D.C., uh, finishing up this uh, doctoral program I'm in. And thank God I'm at the finish line. I'm I'm super excited to be done with that. But it is uh, such an amazing thing they got to come with me. And while I was in class during the day, they went to the museums, the Smithsonian's, the monuments, the history, you know, uh, the historical areas. And one of the places they went was the National Archives. And as they were telling me about their time in the National Archives, looking at our nation's founding documents, I was reminded of these words in our nation's founding documents that we hold these truths to be self-evident, 
that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That our nation's founding was on the belief of the God of the Bible, of the Christian God, that it is self-evident that He exists and that He has given us these unalienable rights. And the crazy thing is, man, our nation has forgotten. We have forgotten our why, and so we're confusing our what. We've forgotten God. And we, in the 1920s, as a result of the death of God movement that came in in the, in the 1890s to America, in the 1920s, we took God out of our schools. And then in the 40s and 50s, we took God out of our government. In the 60s and 70s, we took God out of our home, and God was something that was no longer polite to be discussed. It wasn't polite conversation to talk about God. And so for a hundred years, we've forgotten Him. And as a result, the 1900s became the bloodiest century in all of recorded history. For a hundred years, we have told people that you are an accident of the universe, Darwinian evolution is true, time plus matter plus chance made everything we see, the goo to you via the zoo, as my college professor said, and that your life has no purpose, no ultimate value, and no ultimate meaning. Is it any wonder why we have such a low regard for human life? Why we kill each other more than we ever have before? Why we harm ourselves and take our own lives at greater rates than ever before? That mental health problems are skyrocketing because people don't know their purpose. They don't know their value because we forgot God. We forgot our why and we confused our what. And the church is just as bad that in the midst of the death of God movement and the industrial revolution and the, the you know, bringing about of technology and science to answer our questions that we got so focused on this that we forgot our why, that we believed that we no longer needed God. And as Nietzsche said, if we kill God, we had to take his place and we became God. And as a result, we began to make ourselves the top dog and the most important thing in the world. And when we saw our flaws and failures and faults, we were just let down. And so as a result, look at our nation. Man, we are just in chaos. We are in darkness. We live in a world where nobody knows up from down. We've rubbed the letters off our compass and forgotten about God. And as a result, the church has done exactly what Jesus told us not to do. We've taken our light and we've covered it with a basket. <clears throat> it has defeated its purpose. We have become holy huddles where we spend our time making converts to get people out of hell and into heaven, but we don't make disciples. And as a result, 70% of Americans claim to be followers of Jesus, but according to the Barna Research Group, only one in seven of that 70% or one in 10 total of the American population actually follow Jesus with their lives, actually practice their faith in their everyday lives. That's a very sad situation that we find ourselves in. The church in America is dying. Attendance is falling. Faith is disappearing. And according to social scientists by the 2070s, in about 50 years, Christianity will be effectively dead. They say that even now we're living in a post-Christian nation. We have forgotten our why, and we've confused our what. That's the bad news. That's the Debbie Downer. I promise I didn't come to bring you a negative message. But I wanted to share with you the truth. Because the truth and the reality of the situation is where we find ourselves. That's the bad news. The good news is 
that if we're here, there's still hope. If we're still here, there's still hope for revival. That revival could break out in our nation if it started in our families and overflowed into our communities, which overflowed into our our cities and into our states and into our nation and into our world. Revival is possible. I believe that if Jesus can take 30 cast-offs of society, make them his disciples, send them into the world, and within 30 years... 12 disciples could in 30 years spread the gospel to the whole known world and in less than three centuries the entire world could become Christian? If that can happen with 12 people, imagine what could happen with all the followers of Jesus we have in America right now, much less the world. There's still hope. But to do that, we have to remember. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you've got your Bibles, we're finally going to get to the Scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and tell you our big truth for today. Our big truth, if you forget everything else I say today, please remember this. Our big truth is that God's faithfulness in the past proves His faithfulness in the present. God's faithfulness in the past proves His faithfulness in the present. And as we look at all of the great things God has done in our lives and we go to face trials and tribulations in our present day, we can face them with confidence because God is good. His character never changes. And if he's been faithful in the past, man, he'll be faithful in the present in our current circumstances today. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you've found that in your Bible, we always read the Bible in context. And the context of this passage is the battle between David and Goliath. Even non-Christians know about the battle between David and Goliath. And we know that David wins, right? Spoiler alert, (laughs) David wins the battle. But there's something important that we often overlook when we read this passage. We get so fixated on Goliath and we get so fixated on the battle. There's a part in between that's really important. But to understand it, we do have to look at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And to understand that, you've really got to look at a map. You got to look at a map. So if you were to pull up a map of Israel during the reign of King Saul, which is what's going on in 1 Samuel 17, approximately you know 1000 BC, Israel has failed to take all of the promised land. There are still some pagan nations that have yet to be driven out of the land. And as a result, Israel has most of it, but not all of it. And the parts that they own are important. The the parts of the land of Israel that they have at the point of this passage is all the grasslands, all the pasture lands, all the hills and the valleys and and the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee, all of these important places that are great for raising crops and raising livestock and growing crops. But there's no access to the ocean. Israel does not have access to the Mediterranean Sea. That area is protected by the nation of Philistia. And Philistia has all of this territory along the coastline. They have a mighty navy, but they have no grasslands and no pastures for raising flocks or growing crops. And so Philistia and Israel are constantly in battle with each other. And so in this particular battle, the Philistines get an idea. They say that they want to practice something that becomes known at this time as solo contendere or single combat that they would choose their champion and the other in a, the other army would choose their champion and these two champions would fight each other and the whole battle would be decided on this one thing. And so, of course, the Philistines choose Goliath. <laughs> Why would they not? If you read the passage, he's a giant. 
He's nine foot tall. His spear is the size of a weaver's beam. That's like holding a four by four. His spear tip is so big, it's 15 pounds, the chapter tells us. And the people are afraid. And it says, for 40 days and nights, Goliath walks in front of the the enemy army lines. And he taunts and insults Israel. He taunts and insults God, Yahweh. And they say that their God, the God of the Philistines, is more powerful than the God of Israel. And Saul, the king, who should be fighting this battle, is hiding in his tent. Why is Saul hiding in his tent? You see, Goliath represents two things, and all of the Israelites knew it. The reason why they were hiding is, yes, Goliath represents a physical battle. He is nine foot tall. He's a mountain of a man. We'll see in a little bit. He's been a warrior his whole life. But there's more to it than this. You see, Goliath was a giant. The Philistines controlled part of the area where the Anakim lived the descendants of Anak, the giants. And if you know your Bible history, you know that in the beginning of time, in the book of Genesis, we see that as human beings began to spread across the planet, the Bible in the book of Genesis says that the sons of God, that's a phrase for the heavenly beings, God created a heavenly family and an earthly family, we know that, that the heavenly beings, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men, earthly beings, and saw that they were beautiful. And so the heavenly beings came down and had children with the earthly beings. And they were giants, the Nephilim, the, the, the warriors of heroes of renown of, of in ancient times. And so these giants are the descendants of the Nephilim. And if you know your Jewish history, the Bible doesn't say this clearly, but if you read books like the Book of the Giants, the Book of Jubilees, the Book of Enoch, you'll see that the ancient Jews believed that the giants, the Nephilim, were descendants, the descendants of Anak, that these were unholy unions. And because they were unholy, unsanctioned unions between heavenly beings and earthly beings, that when they, these Anakim died, when the giants died, the Nephilim died, their spirits could not go to the place of the dead. And the spirits of these giants were forced to wander the earth. And they called them the Shadim. We translate that into demons. The ancient Jews believed that the spirits of the giants were the demons that wanted to possess people, that they no longer had a body. And so they had to possess human beings. And so as Goliath taunts Israel, they're not just afraid of the physical battle. They recognize this is a spiritual battle. This is good versus evil. And everybody is hiding in fear because they've forgotten God's goodness. They have forgotten all of the things that God did for them in the past, all the past military victories, the past miracles that God gave. They forgot as they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and God miraculously provided for them manna and quail, how he went as the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire before them. And this is what they've forgotten. They forgot their wine, they confused their what? And so David shows up, and David is willing to fight him because David knows this. So let's actually read some scripture together. 1 Samuel 17, let's pick up in verse 32. When David gets brought before King Saul, look at what David says in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Why could David do that? Well, the first thing we notice about David that we can apply in our lives is that David remembered God's past faithfulness. David remembered God's past faithfulness. Look at what he says in verse 33. 
Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. What? You're talking about battles, and, and David goes back talking about being a shepherd. But you see, David goes to the past. David looks at the past and says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. This is not a recent thing. I've been doing this. this is, he's setting the stage to remember. He remembers God's past faithfulness. But number two, David also remembered God's miracles. David remembered God's miracles. Look at what he continues on saying. Verse 34. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, the first thing that David did was he remembered God's past faithfulness. He went to the past and said, God, where have you been faithful before? Back when I was watching sheep. How? Though Number two, David remembered God's miracles. You see, David was doing the fighting, but God was the one giving the provision. God was the one who gave him the strength to have the victory. We know that because David, <clears throat> in verse 36, says this, I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. He brings out the fact that he's pagan. He's not a follower of Yahweh. But he says this, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David looked to the past and saw God's miracles. God had given him the strength because it takes a lot of supernatural strength to beat up a lion. Could you imagine the strength you would have to have as a 15-year-old young man? He says he's a boy, right, in Saul's eyes, 15, 14 maybe to grab a lion by the jaw and club it to death, to grab a bear by the jaw, that's supernatural. The only way that's possible is if God gave him the victory. God gave him the miracles. But number three, and this is the most important part, David trusted God to keep his word, to keep his promises. David was a person who was a man after God's own heart. David knew God. David knew the, the, the teachings. David knew about covenant. David knew about God's promises. David knew about God's faithfulness. He could look back and say that, God, you've been faithful in the past, so that lets me know you'll be faithful in the present. And David trusted God to keep his word. Look at what he says in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the, jaw, from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. The Lord, Yahweh. So David looks to the past in order to know what to do in the present. So how about you and me? What do we do with all this? Well, as we get ready to look at this together, I want to remind you of the pattern. You see, the Bible is full of models. Models of things we should do and models of things we shouldn't do. Sometimes the Bible gives us prescriptive things to do. Gives like, like a doctor who gives you a prescription, do this, right? Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Those are prescriptive Bible passages. But a lot of the Bible is descriptive. It gives us a narrative. It tells us what happened. And we have to pull the application out with using wisdom and what's called hermeneutics, right? We interpret the Bible properly and soundly. And so as a result, we can look at these three things that David did. David remembered 
God's past faithfulness. David remembered God's miracles and David trusted God to keep his word. So what can we do with this? As we get ready to finish our time together, I want to ask you three questions. The first question I want you to think about is when did God come through for you in the past? When did God come through for you in the past? When are the times where you had nothing else but God and God came through? You see, here's the problem. When we base our relationships on what people can give us, people will always let us down. If my wife looks to me on what I can provide for her and how I can be consistent, eventually, no matter how good I am, I'm going to fall. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. And what we do is we base our relationship with God based off our relationship with people. But we can't do that. You see, people change. People change their minds. People fail us. People you know, fail to come through in the end. And as a result, we believe that God's not going to come through, that God's not going to be faithful. But David remembered. And so we can do that too. When did God come through for us in the past? I know that as I look back at my life, I can see time after time after time where God was with me. God, like David, gave me the strength. And that's the second question. First question is, when did God come through in the past? And number two, when have I seen miracles in my life? My, my, my good friends have just recently had a baby. She's six months old. And I'll never forget that when she was pregnant with that baby girl, the doctors gave her bad news and they said that the, the genetics on this baby, baby's genetic code is messed up. That this baby is not going to survive three months in the womb. And they said, no, no, no. We believe God is going to take care of this baby and we're going to trust him. And the doctor said, okay, just warning you. Well, three months went by and the baby continued to grow. Six months went by, nine months went by, and it was time for the baby to be born. And the doctors came back in and said, hey, after doing the scans, we see this baby has physical abnormalities, missing kidneys. And, and, and if this baby's born with no kidneys, then she's not going to survive long. You just don't get baby kidney transplants. That's just impossible. And they said, no, no, we believe God and he will keep his word, his promise to us that this baby's going to be born healthy. And so they deliver the baby and the baby is born and they just keep waiting. But the baby does what babies without kidneys can't do and she fills her diapers. <laughs> she uses the bathroom, right? And that's a miracle. And they do the tests and the baby has beautiful, beautiful insides. Nothing missing. Ten fingers, ten toes and everything in between. Why? Because that's a miracle. God still does miracles. He did not stop after Pentecost. He did not stop after creation. God is still a miracle-working God. And where have I seen the miracles in my life? When my wife was healed of her cancer, when my children were protected, when I was able to go off to war and come home safe, God has been faithful. And He has provided and preserved and given us miracles. So number one, when did God come through in the past? Number two, when have I seen miracles in my life? And this is the big question. Do I really trust God to keep his word? You see, David could march out into the, the field of battle to face Goliath, knowing that Goliath represented not just a physical battle, but also a spiritual battle. Goliath represented evil. He was the very symbol of it. And David said, no, no, God's going to protect me because this man has defied the, the armies of the living God. And God did exactly what David knew he would. And you know how it ends, right? a sling and a stone, 
and Goliath went down. And it was all because of what God did through David. But here's the thing. God always meets us where we are, but he works through us. God doesn't do it all. He always partners with people to accomplish his purposes. And so this is why you and I have to trust. The essence of faith is trust. Do I trust God to keep his word? Faith is actually an action. (laughs) It's something you do. It's not head knowledge. It's something you walk out. The Red Sea did not part for the Israelites until they took the steps, right? The Jordan River did not part for the 12 tribes of Israel as they prepared to cross into the promised land until they stepped into it. This is the same thing that's true in your life and my life. David could not win the battle if he didn't go on the battlefield. You and I have to walk by faith and trust God to keep his word. But here's the truth of all of these things is God's faithfulness in the past proves his faithfulness in the present. God's faithfulness in the past proves his faithfulness in the present. You see, God doesn't want you to have a blind faith. He wants you to have a reasonable faith. And it is reasonable to believe that if somebody or someone or something has been faithful in the past, it will continue to be faithful in the present. That if it continues, when when for 40 years of my life, I've gone to bed with the sun setting and I've woken up with the sun rising, it is reasonable for me to believe that is going to keep happening. Why? That's a reasonable faith. I don't know for certain. Who knows what could happen in the cosmos while I sleep? But it's reasonable to believe that if day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for 40 years, God has brought the sun back up again, then it's reasonable to believe he's going to do it again. And the same thing is true in our lives. So if you're facing struggles today, I don't know what that struggle is for you. I don't know if you've got, maybe you've got sickness. Maybe you've got bad medical reports. Maybe you've got health issues, but maybe you've got financial struggles job struggles, relationship struggles, whatever your struggle is today, whatever your Goliath is, whatever your giant is that you're facing, God is bigger than that giant. And just as David could walk onto the field of battle, you and I can do the same thing spiritually. We can put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians tells us how. We can take the the sword of of, of salva- the helmet of salvation, right? The sword of, of truth, right? The breastplate of righteousness. All of these things that we can do and we can walk into battle but trusting in God's faithfulness. Why? Because if God was faithful in the past, it proves that he'll be faithful in the present. Let me pray for you guys as we close. King Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for the men and women here with me today. And I pray that as we go through struggles, that it's easy to forget. It's easy to to, to ignore all of the things you've done for us in the past. But help us to remember your goodness, knowing that your faithfulness in the past proves your faithfulness in the present. As we walk through these struggles, you're going to be faithful. Bless this time. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.